captain's logs. Han Solo. I'm Captain of the Millennium Falcon. This is Captain Jean-Luc Picard of the Federation Starship Enterprise. Listening to Captain's Logs and Lightsabers, part of the Geek News Now Podcast Network. Hey there, welcome to episode 20 of Captain's Logs and Lightsabers. This is the podcast on the Geek News Now Network that talks about both Star Trek and Star Wars in the same episode. Uh, I am just one of the hosts. My name is Jonathan, and uh, I would not be able to do this without my co host, Chris. How's it going today, Chris? I'm good there, Jonathan. How you doing today there, sir? Hey, man. I, I'm good. It's it's Sunday. It's uh, you know almost the end of the weekend. And mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. uh, preparing to go back to work tomorrow, I guess. For Sounds good. Yeah, I've been off all week, so uh, tomorrow's my first day back. So you know that first day back after vacation, how slow things kind of are and your brain's trying to play catch up? Yeah, it's going to be a fun day. <laughs> <laughs> I know the feeling all too well. It's it's always hard to come back that first day after vacation. Oh but yes, you you find yourself getting into the rhythm. I think pretty quickly. At least I Absolutely. do. Absolutely. You know. Yeah, it's Just, kind of like riding a bike again. Yeah, pretty much. All right, so let's go right into our kickoff segment, which is always "How did you geek this week?" It's an opportunity for Chris and I to just kind of talk about things outside of Star Trek and Star Wars. Uh, and just give you a little bit more of a glimpse into our daily nerdy lives. So uh, I'll kick this off. I Yesterday, my wife and I went to see the new Black Panther Wakanda Forever film. And I have some thoughts. Um, I mean, for the most part, the, the film was enjoyable. Uh, it was good, not great. But at the same time, I don't... I. It's hard to live up to the original to the first black panther because that was such a a good film and it was anchored by some of the most incredible performances uh, you know and and not to mention you know chadwick boseman of course was a big uh, part of of everything and you definitely feel um as though you know without him on screen without him in this movie you definitely feel it you definitely can know that the tone is a lot different um but i will say that every moment in the film that uh talked about chadwick and 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 t'challa as black panther because at this point they're essentially one and the same everyone just associates chadwick boseman and t'challa together like you know that was his role of a lifetime i think and the fact that he's not in it is is just it, it's felt throughout the entire movie. But the moments where they pay tribute to his character uh, are incredible. And um, I typically, you know, at the end of a Marvel movie, you have those stingers, and typically it's setting up the the next movie. You know what's coming next, and it might not even be related to the characters. But the mid credit scene in Black Panther: Wakanda Forever was absolute perfection um it it really made the whole movie worthwhile so yeah i i thought it was good i didn't think it was great but it was going to be impossible to live up to the original i think so sure. chris how did you geek this week 
in the last week, uh, I went to, uh, as many people know, I believe I said this before, I'm part of a uh, club called Starfleet International. And there it's a kind of like almost like a fraternity of Star Trek fans, basically. And they have chapters all the way through throughout the world in different regions. And I'm part of the Pittsburgh ship, the USS Stella Parada, and it, we're in region seven. And we decided uh, we were going to go last Saturday to Dave and Buster's and just have uh, like a video game kind of night with with everybody. So the, cr- the crew members who of us who all went, we had a nice dinner and then we played the Star Trek game there. Basically, what you do is you shoot these little coins or tokens in into on, on this like moving platform. And if you shoot them just right, it moves some of the, the tokens forward. So that the, the the prizes start moving a little bit forward, and the prizes are these Star Trek cards with all seven original series actors on them. There's also an eighth one that they very rarely shoot out into their into the game for you to win, but it's with tribbles. And after you get each card, they're worth I think a hundred tokens or something at the at their token store, ticket store. So I got a whole bunch of those cards. Of course, I didn't get the tribble one, but I, at least I got one at least one of everybody, and I'm not using them. I'm keeping those as collector's items. Mm-hmm. You never know what those will be worth someday. So that was a lot of fun, and it was fun getting to, to interact with our with with my shipmates and and have a really good time. Um, so that was the big big geek of the week. And then um, usually the week of my birthday, I take off from work, which is why I was off this week. Yesterday was my actual birthday. Um, so what I what I usually do is it's, it's kind of weird, but there was a tradition that dated back to my high school marching band days where. Um, you know how every, you were in marching band, so of you know every, every Friday you were you were not stuck, but you were obligated to be at all these football games. So you had no Friday nights to yourself after school, you know. So my twin brother Matt and I used to have this tradition co- that we called Fun Friday to on kind of like enjoy the very first uh, free Friday from marching band. And it always fell on our birthday week. So that Friday we would always come home from school, then we'd go out with my parents. We would go to Haas's. Um, I don't know if anybody knows what Haas's is, but it's a restaurant chain, a really great salad bar. And then we would go and spend our birthday money and buy like different Star Trek things or whatever. So after high school ended, I enjoyed doing it so much. And it was right, you know, my birthday week was always that week. So I've continued that tradition. And I actually went and did that uh, this this past Friday, bought a whole bunch of nerd stuff. Um, So I I bought a... uh, a Star Trek The Next Generation banner from the early 90s that I'm going to put in my office at work. One thing that I'm really interested in right now, and I used to love back as a teenager, do you remember the little Star Trek miniature play sets that Playmates let out? They were called Inner Space. Um, I think a little bit. I I don't know. I mean, I don't recall. You don't but... recall? <laughs> no, but that's okay. I took, well, I loved them. And uh, so I had a whole series of them. Well, what I noticed earlier this year is that Star Wars is now coming out with what I think is called Micro Squadron. And they have, I don't know if you've seen any of them in Walmart or Target, but they came out with a lot of sets really quick. They have the Millennium Falcon, which is the one I really want, but it's almost 50 bucks. Uh, <laughs> but it's a nice one. Uh, they have the X-Wing. They have Slave One. They have, uh, who? what else do they have? Uh, uh Imperial Transport. Anyway, a whole bunch of different TIE Fighters. The X-Wing is one. Uh, I got, but they also have these little starter kits. And one of them is, in, there's like the, called a mystery box. And so I bought one and there are eight of them that, to collect. And the first one I got was uh, the Mandalorian, him and his speeder bike. 
So that's the beginning of my collection for me to nice. kind of see if I really want these. And yeah, I'm hooked. <laughs> so I'm going to start trying to buy some of those. So that's really how I geek this week. I think I bought also, a, I found a cheap Star Trek DVD that had like the four top episodes of the original series. I bought mm -hmm. that. Uh, I also bought a Grogu that was really, really big beyond the standard like six inch action figure that you can get. It was just, it was really nice. I got it at Aldi for $8.99. Um, you could buy those super big figures for like $10 or dollar mm -hmm. or whatever, but I managed to get mine cheaper. So nice. I was really stoked. So that's how I spent my, that's how I geek this week. All right. So I, I just want to go back to the Dave and Buster's thing really quick and just ask you if you or anyone else in your, um, Stella Parada group played the Star Trek VR game that they have. No, we didn't get to do that. Um, by that, by that point, when we, we finally found it, uh, the group was starting to kind of disperse. Mm. <laughs> Everybody had kind of had their fill for the night. And uh, so we didn't get to do that. But we all told each other that the next time we have a trip down there, we are going to play it. OK, but I did play that VR at Star Trek Las Vegas in 2019. So I'm very familiar with it. Right. I think the experience at Dave and Buster's is, is a little different because it's more of a full game. But um mm -hmm. I don't know. I don't know what the 2019 one was. If that was more like a tech demo or yeah, it was. It was more of a tech demo. Basically, we we sat there, and all I remember is putting on the helmets, and we were attacking Klingon warships. That's okay. basically all I remember from it. And it lasted maybe five to ten minutes, something like that, and mm -hmm. and that was it. Gotcha. Okay, so that wraps up. How did you geek this week? And normally we would jump right into the news, but honestly, Chris and I didn't really find anything newsworthy to talk about. Plus the, uh, the discussion that we're going to have a little bit heavy of, of uh, material. So we're going to skip over the news. Um, we're just going to talk a little bit about the most recent episodes of Andor. I know the last episode that we talked about, and or we we dealt with the first five episodes uh so there have been quite a few since then um chris why don't you tell me your overall thoughts on Andor so far and is it making a little more sense to you it's starting to make <clears throat> a little bit more sense to me <laughs> at this point i think what what's what's throwing me off with Andor is the speed it's very very slow <laughs> moving from one thing to another. And for some reason that's, it's not gelling with my brain, but one thing I, I'm, so I, my plan is, is after the season's over, I'm going to do a complete season rewatch one or two more times so that I can kind of piece it all together. But I am really enjoying this, this prison arc that's going mm -hmm. on right now. Um, how they all came together and they started planning the, the, the breakout and the, the writers, I think did a very good job piecing that together. Um, building the loyalties with the with the characters and actually coming up with the plan that they did before to finally escape and actually the thought of that they were actually just that group of them was able to overcome all the imperial soldiers there was pretty stunning when they didn't even really have anything except what a few pipes in their mm -hmm. hands and bare feet you know there was it was it was just really interesting the way they they set all of that up i also really liked the art the 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 prison sets itself i thought were really interesting again like i said they had them walking around with bare feet so they couldn't go running really anywhere mm -hmm. wouldn't be able to get too far and um also what did you think about the then they would the, the the lights the white lights would turn to red and then the the floor would turn so super hot that it was like if they stepped on it, it would shock them and die what do you think of that oh my god that that's just absolutely brutal and it really tells you how 
genocidal the empire really is right um the fact that they don't even treat their prisoners with any amount of respect and decency they 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 feed them enough to do the work because obviously what good is a prisoner who can't work um but they they it's devoid of flavor unless you perform well and the fact that yeah there's there are no prisoner rights uh Mm -hmm. as far as the empire is concerned um Mm -hmm. and and sentences mean nothing it's just crazy how incredibly evil the empire is you know it's it's just it's something else i i want to talk a little bit actually um about andy circus uh mm-hmm. his performance in andor in this in the prison arc is probably the 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 best of his career uh and i know i was talking to you a little bit about this pre-show but just the fact that we are not seeing Andy Serkis portraying a character, uh, a CGI character. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, obviously, I'm not taking anything away from his performances as uh, Caesar the Ape or as Gollum. But the fact that he is on screen, we see him emote with his actual face and not through the lens of a CGI character. And we see him deliver that performance with such passion and and. and uh, just love for what he's doing and the character he's portraying. I think if, if he doesn't get an Emmy nomination this year mm-hmm. uh, for that, I, I will be very shocked. Oh, absolutely. No, I agree with you. And you know, what we, we talked about pre-show as well was that I, when I was watching the episodes with him in it, I kept waiting to see hints of Snoke, hints of Caesar, the, those, the other characters he's ever played. And there were none. It was he completely created a, a totally new character that didn't kind of borrow elements from other characters that he's played. Mm-hmm. And to me, that's a good trademark or hallmark, whatever word is of a good of a good actor. It kind of reminded me of Betty White almost. Um, I don't know how f- much you used to watch of like the Carol Burnett show in the 70s and Mama's Family in the 80s. But she played uh, Mama's oldest daughter, Ellen. And Ellen was very snobby and selfish and rude and arrogant. Mm-hmm. But then you watch her as Rose, which was the next role she played after Ellen. No trace of Ellen in that portrayal at all. <laughs> right. Her hairstyle, different, even the, the tone of her voice. Well, Ellen had more of a Southern accent because that's where the, the Harper family was from. But, you know, and Rose was from Minnesota. So no accent. But I mean, it was like watching a totally different actress playing the two roles and you know and that's kind of what andy circus reminded me of in in these portrayals i agree with you he needs to to earn an emmy for this one Mm -hmm. what was really interesting was at the end when they were about to jump into the water for the first time you actually kind of saw fear on his character's face right you know he's like i can't swim you know and then they ended up ending the episode with everybody going over the over the wall into the water so i'm very curious to see what happens in the next episode how that's going to be you know taken care of does and or is he you know help him does he you know take him to the shore or wherever they're gonna go or right. does he end up perishing like you know he was afraid he would sure sure yeah I'm, I'm wondering if we're going to see any more of him or uh this next episode well actually the next two episodes that we get will be mm-hmm. the final episodes of the season so yeah. i'm i'm concerned that we're not going to get um any resolution on his character Mm-hmm. You know, it would be smart on the writers to do that. Have that, you know, that anticipation for season two. That would be wonderful. Right, right. I, I, I'm not confident that he survived. If I'm being perfectly honest. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it wouldn't it wouldn't surprise me because yeah. they really hyped up that fear. So hey, but you never know. You know, we've seen a lot more interesting things happen in sci-fi. So you never know. <laughs> very true. Very true. All right. Well, that 
kind of wraps up our discussion of Andor for this. I wanted to keep it a little bit short because I I think that the topic of discussion this week that Chris and I came up with, like I said earlier, is going to be heavy. It's serious, um, and I want to devote enough time to it and not really have the all the ancillary stuff that we typically do that could potentially distract from the message of the episode. So we're going to jump right into our feature discussion. Um, and this is our first episode for the month of November. Um, this is a topic that Chris and I are both pretty uh, serious and passionate about. Um, Regular listeners of the show, of course, you know that Chris is a licensed therapist, uh, trained social worker who has his own private practice for therapy. But what you may not know is that I recently uh, went back into the behavioral health field after nearly 10 years away. Um, I have my uh, degree in psychology, and then I have a master's degree in legal studies. Um, so I'm using that in, in my current job. I work for uh, a provider of behavioral health services in, in the county where I live, being that uh, Veterans Day falls in November. Chris and I wanted to talk about a condition that, I mean, not only does it affect millions of veterans of of combat but it, it you know it affects the everyday person as well but i think with uh, you know the the lens always gets placed on uh the the military community and that is uh, ptsd or post traumatic stress disorder and like i said anyone who's been exposed to significant trauma can lead to ptsd but it does especially run unchecked in veterans and soldiers because you know the the level of aftercare that these folks receive once they've completed their military service careers is is a little lacking a little less uh than is desirable mm-hmm. you know in the United States alone, one veteran loses their life to suicide every twenty two minutes, and that is just not acceptable yeah, um, unbelievable yeah. unbelievable. So I'm hoping that this little episode where we talk about PTSD through the lens of Star Wars and Star Trek will help someone recognize their own symptoms or recognize the symptoms in someone that they love and seek the help that they so desperately need for this dangerous condition. So Chris and I thought that you know we would each talk about a couple characters in Star Wars and Star Trek who we believe are experiencing PTSD. So... The first thing I want to do is help you and help as our audience help you define what PTSD and what some of the symptoms are that can occur. So Chris, why don't you take us a little bit towards what is PTSD and what are some of the symptoms? Absolutely. So PTSD is an anxiety disorder that can develop when a person witnesses or is exposed to traumatic events. PTSD can also occur in someone who has had traumatic events uh, be enacted upon them as well. So PTSD is often associated with soldiers in active war zones. But honestly, really, in truth, post-traumatic stress disorder can affect anyone who has been exposed to trauma of of any kind. So PTSD is not a condition where the symptoms occur immediately following the triggering event. They often take weeks or even months to develop in somebody and sometimes even years. It just depends on how the the, the trauma is processed and compartmentalized. So here are some symptoms of PTSD. I'm going to go through the first five and then Jonathan's going to go through the rest with everybody. So the first symptom is deep fear of trust. People who endure ongoing abuse or trauma, 
particularly if the person enacting the trauma on the person, often leads to an intense fear of trusting anyone, even those who may have had the trust of the victim prior to the traumatic incidents. A second symptom of PTSD is called terminal aloneness. So this is where a, a person experiences a feeling of painful aloneness that affects the victim of trauma where they were or are unable to feel connection and trust with people. The best way to describe terminal aloneness is imagining the victim is surrounded by people, but it's like there's a glass wall separating them from, from each other at all times. I actually experienced a lot of this with the kids that I worked with in residential or, and in inpatient psych who a lot of them have been sexually abused. Mm-hmm. Um, I've seen a lot of that. Number three, same thing, emotional flashbacks. Okay, so there are three different types of flashbacks. Most people think it's just like a, a visual in their, in their minds, but there, it's actually a lot more layered than that. So the first one is visual flashbacks where your mind is triggered to relive the trauma. Then you have the somatic flashbacks. That's where a survivor feels sensations, pain, or discomfort in areas of the body affected by the trauma. A lot of times people don't realize this as well, but when people experience different emotions, depression, anxiety, and they're extremely intense, they manifest as physical symptoms, Mm -hmm. headaches, stomach aches, um, hand tremors, um, heart palpitations, increase in breathing. So it's amazing how the emotional and the physical part are connected. And then you have the emotional flashbacks. The survivor has an intense wave of emotional response wash over them, but can't understand why the sudden rush of emotion overwhelms them. These emotions are a form of flashback to the trauma. A fourth symptom is hypervigilance. The need to scan a room before entering, looking for threats, or liking liking to have their backs up against the wall. That is very common in PTSD. Uh And then a fifth one is loss of faith. It can be about people, religion, the world being good, or actually a loss of faith in yourself. So those are, those first five are pretty intense. Jonathan, what are some of the other symptoms? So before I jump into the the next, you know, several symptoms, mm-hmm. of course, this is not a be all end all, uh, all encompassing list of symptoms. Everyone experiences PTSD and works through trauma differently. So uh, if you don't necessarily notice these symptoms, do a little bit of research into the mm-hmm. condition uh, yourself and you know and and if you have any thoughts that someone you love or yourself might be experiencing any of these symptoms do what it takes to get yourself help um one of the major symptoms and i think chris you kind of touched on this a little bit with mm-hmm. with survivors of abuse especially at childhood is is a profoundly hurt inner child you know children who were complex trauma survivors. Uh, They've had a a failure to have their physical and emotional needs met, you know, and, and what we know about psychology and, and the, uh, the need to have our basic desires and needs met is a very critical step. If we don't have those met, we cannot progress as a person. Children who suffered repeated hurt and abuse, their inner child is very, very much scarred, broken, and damaged. And, mm-hmm. and as they move into an adulthood, the, just these childhood survivors of trauma will constantly be looking for safety, protection, uh, a validation that they are cherished and loved among other adults. It, it does not create healthy adult relationships. Mm-hmm. It creates uh, relationships of constantly searching for what they didn't get as the child mm-hmm. and it leads to some dissonance you know when they're trying to form meaningful adult relationships right 
is it okay if I add to that? Yeah, of course. One thing I've learned also with working with these kids and you talking about them going into relationships, a lot of times their relationships are very skewed as they, they go into adulthood because of this. And what ends up happening is, is their lives, they've been so trained to know nothing but chaos in their lives. So they end up because if things are going very well for them, they don't know how to deal with happiness or they don't feel that they are worthy of that love or that care. So what they'll do is they'll create chaos in their own relationships. So that, and that actually brings them comfort as, as weird as that sounds. Mm-hmm. That's all they know, you know, sure. and then that leads to a lot of damaged relationships. And then they're, they're bouncing from one you know partner to another, things of that nature. A lot of times there's a tie in with uh, borderline personality disorder, um, which is a personality type where it's, it's extreme fluctuations of emotions up and down. There's a big fear of abandonment. Um, sometimes there's a lot of attention seeking that goes on with it. They all become self-injurious, things of those nature to try to, to manipulate other people. Um, it's, it's just amazing how the different types of things can all intertwine. Sure, sure. Things. And uh, that's actually something that we are going to address with one of the characters mm-hmm. that Chris and I are going to talk about today. So mm-hmm. there's your little teaser. Um, <laughs> one Another uh, major symptom or you know sign that someone may be dealing with PTSD is is helplessness um a, a sense in, internal that nothing will ever be okay no matter how much or how little the person does to try and make things better uh a person can be so profoundly damaged that they really see no hope for anything getting better or improving mm-hmm. and and then along those same lines you have dissociation Often, you know, our brains will utilize this coping skill to, you know, basically pull themselves out of whatever situation is going on. They retreat into their thoughts. They, they, they don't engage with others. You know, sometimes it presents in the form of daydreaming. Other times, if it goes untreated for so long, uh, dissociation can actually manifest into a, a full-on dissociative identity disorder diagnosis where the person is compartmentalizing their life so much that they end up creating alternate personalities of mm-hmm. themselves. Right. Um, um, I've actually even heard clients say that they feel like they can actually step out of their own bodies and watch themselves. Mm-hmm. That's mm-hmm. how intense the, dis- the dissociation can become. It's 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 interesting. Right, right, uh, absolutely. I mean that it, it's it, that is. I believe they call that depersonalization. Mm-hmm. Right. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, that that feeling of being detached, or whether mm-hmm. it's purposeful um, or it just happens uh, as a uh, as a response to trauma. Right. Uh, depersonalization is is very serious mm-hmm. definitely uh, so and then the final symptom that i want to cover uh is persistent sadness and suicidality i mean this is a big one obviously um ongoing states of sadness and severe depression uh nothing seems to help uh whether whether anything's tried or not is not the point it's just nothing ever feels to the person like it's going to get better uh all these survivors of complex trauma can be ha- at high risk for suicidal thoughts, ideations, and again, left unchecked and, and left uh, unaddressed, it, it can lead to uh, someone being actively suicidal. Um, these ideations are often a, a coping skill utilized by the survivor so that they feel like they have a way out. So that if the pain and the emotion become too overwhelming, they have a way to permanently separate from that. And Mm -hmm. that is one of the biggest challenges that we face is oftentimes somebody who is feeling suicidal 
and this, and again, this isn't always the case. Sometimes there's nothing that we can do because it's progressed so far. But there are times where if you just notice the uh, a, a family member or a loved one or friend uh, experiencing these symptoms, talk to them, be mm-hmm. honest, confront them about it. Mm-hmm. Most people who have suicidal ideations or have progressed to the level of having a plan don't actually want to do it. They just don't feel like anybody understands or recognizes what's going on. So by talking, by actively questioning someone, you may, you feel that may be having these thoughts mm-hmm. often is enough to stop the, the ideations from becoming a plan, from becoming an active suicide attempt. Absolutely. That's well said. And to be honest with you, most people, a lot of people do not want to seek mental health treatment because of the stigma associated with it out in society. Uh-huh. I think that the stigma is going down to some degree because you have some celebrities and people actually coming out and talking about their own experiences with mental health, regardless of, of diagnosis. But people, it's it's very important to understand that there are a lot of services out there. There's a lot, it's just hard to sometimes access them or not even know where to start. Mm-hmm. Okay. So the internet is a very good place to go as well. Um, but also going back to the stigma piece, a lot of times, one thing I've learned, I've been doing a lot of grief therapy lately with, uh, with widows, widowers. And one of the, one recently said to me that he doesn't want to go on crazy meds and there goes back to the stigma, mm-hmm. you know, but these medications are very helpful in being able to help kind of regulate the chemical flow in the brain or to get the neurons firing properly again, which happens with a lot of these illnesses. Also, with a person with a traumatized brain, research has shown that the brain actually shrinks. So the ability to problem solve and have emotional regulation actually significantly decreases. One thing I've also found is a lot of times it seems like, let's say somebody got abused at six years old, and then I'm working with them in their 20s. -hmm. They still feel, act and behave and talk a lot like they're still six years old. It's like an ostrich with the head in the sand. They physically matured. But mentally, they're still stuck at that moment. Mm -hmm. And so the therapy can help people to actually kind of break through and process those moments so that mentally and physically you can kind of catch up at this point. You know, so encourage anybody to to, to go and get therapy and medication with any kind of mental health need. The first step is admit that there's a problem. You can't go any farther unless you admit the issue is there. Okay, and sometimes it might take somebody actually talking to you about it. Then after you get to that past that stage, then it's a mixture of therapy, medication and family support. Okay, now family support doesn't necessarily have to mean be your blood. It could be friends. It could be coworkers. It could be anybody, you know, look for those natural supports that you have. Okay, and and one thing to also remember about these these crazy meds that everybody thinks about. Okay, all it does is help to treat the brain, just like insulin helps to treat people with diabetes or there are different beta blockers or things that help with heart heart disease okay mm-hmm. mental health is also a physical health issue as well so please seek out that medication there are a lot of people who can help you you can always start with your pcp if you're not ready to go see a psychiatrist if your pcp who's typically a generalist practitioner does not feel comfortable with prescribing psych meds the pcp can help you find a psychiatrist that works with your insurance or, you know, does a reduced fee for service with cost. Mm-hmm. You know, there's somebody out there. There are people there that are willing to help you. So please seek them out. Absolutely. All right. So on that note, you know, Chris's advice is very, very, very solid. Um, I mean, he's been a practicing clinician for quite a few years. So if you don't trust him, ask a friend, ask somebody who you do trust. If, you know, you're the, whatever you're feeling, whatever you're experiencing could be helped by therapy or 
psychiatric medications. Mm-hmm. And on that note, you know, obviously Chris and I are are both big Star Trek and Star Wars fans. I mean, that's why we have this show. So we're going to spend the last part of the episode talking about characters that everyone should recognize, whether you're a, a huge fan or whether you're just a, a, someone who watches the movies and doesn't really uh, involve themselves in the other material. But these are all recognizable characters um, that may be experiencing PTSD. So what our hope is that this silly little episode where we talk about characters in fictional franchises that have PTSD diagnosis uh, or could potentially have a PTSD diagnosis encourages you as a listener to be more cognizant of the conditions. So Chris, I think you're going to lead us off with one of the characters who we believe may be suffering from PTSD. Absolutely. So one of the favorite recurring characters on Star Trek Deep Space Nine was of Nog. And he was a very interesting character because we watched him grow from this teenage criminal, basically, as a Ferengi, to becoming a highly decorated Starfleet officer by the end of the Dominion War. Um, He was played to perfection by the late Aaron Eisenberg, who who unfortunately died uh, three years ago. Um, So... As everybody knows who are fans of Deep Space Nine, the big enemy in the show was the Dominion. And during season six and seven, the Federation was at war with the Dominion. And in season seven, there were a couple episodes that really touched on PTSD. The first one was called The Siege of AR-558. And this was an episode where the Federation had taken over a Dominion communications relay on on a planet in Dominion space. And they had to hold this. They had to keep it in in their control. So the Dominion sent their troops, the Jem'Hadar, for repeated attacks against the people that were there. And due to shortages, I guess, in, in troops, a lot of them had to continue to stay there. And they were profoundly impacted by they were getting hurt and they were watching their fellow soldiers dying horribly. And you'd have to rewatch the episode to kind of watch some of the, the, the PTSD interactions. I really didn't watch re want to focus on that episode. It's just a, a framework, mm-hmm. but in the episode, Nog joins them and they go after the Jemadar troops and they're attacked and Nog ends up getting shot in one of his legs. And it was so the thermal damage was so bad that, that Dr. Bashir had to remove the leg. And they didn't really touch on that much as the rest of the episode progressed. Several episodes later, there was an episode called It's Only a Paper Moon, where Mm. Nog comes back. They gave him a biosynthetic leg, but he was having a lot of PTSD symptoms. You can see he looked very depressed. He seemed lost in thought. Uh, He often had flashbacks back to the trauma. And he actually associated he one of the symptoms that we had talked about actually here about physical symptoms. Uh, he felt that with the brand new leg, there was nothing wrong with it, but he kept saying that he felt pain in there. Um, so that was one manifestation. Mm-hmm. He would also lay in bed all, all night and drive his Jake Cisco is his best friend crazy because he was playing back a song that, that Vic Fontaine, the, the 60s hologram would that Dr. Bashir played. In the siege of AR five five eight, there was a, uh, "I'll Be Seeing You" was the song that he play, was mm-hmm. listening to when, and that was the only source of comfort he had at the moment. So he played it over and over and over. Finally, Nog felt he couldn't take the real world anymore, and he escaped into the Vic Fontaine Hollow Suite program. He didn't want to deal with the real world. So as he was hiding in the Vic Fontaine program, he was starting to lose touch with reality. Um, at one point, his best friend, Jake Sisko, brought a date in, and 
I guess the date was talking about Nog being a real hero and it re-triggered Nog and he ended up getting into a fight with Jake and, and actually attacked him. And finally, it got to the point where Vic shut down his own program, the whole program. They were just in the empty hollow suite. And Nog was like, why'd you do that? And and Vic was like, you need to start confronting the reality of what's going on. And finally, we got Nog finally broke down and talked about why he was hiding in the hollow suite. Basically, what he said was, is that he was this young soldier who thought that he couldn't be touched, that he was unstoppable mm -hmm. and he just wanted to do his duty. When he got his leg shot off and then cut off and replaced, it made him realize for the very first time that life is finite and that basically you can lose it at any time for any reason. And it made him realize he was he wasn't invulnerable and he just he felt like he couldn't deal with that anymore. And so what ended up happening was is once he finally confronted that and he confessed it. It, he started to be able to start processing it a little bit more. And he was able to go into therapy and he started to go back to work on light duty. The reason why I picked this episode, in addition to all these different themes of PTSD, it touched upon somebody that I knew uh, very well, an internet friend. Um, I've made a lot of Trekkie friends from around the country and around the world um, on Facebook and Twitter. And one of them that I had friended actually had started posting a suicide wish one day. And so I reached out to him and he and I ended up striking up a friendship. And on my uh, YouTube channel, Pittsburgh's Trek Chat, he and I actually did a video mm -hmm. where he talked about his experiences. He had PTSD from being in the military and, and it affected his ability to function. He couldn't work. He was you know, living a pretty sheltered life. Um, so we were friends for about a year and a half. And then all of a sudden he just stopped communicating, not just with me, but with everybody. And couple months later, I did some research and I found out he took his own life. Mm. And um, so it does no matter how you help somebody, no matter what support you give, unfortunately, sometimes those things take over. And that's why it's important to go and get the, the, the hardcore detailed therapy that can be done to help you get through these things. Yeah. You know, and uh, that was one of the roughest moments that I've ever dealt with in my life, losing a friend to suicide. And, you know, th there was on my end, there was a little bit of anger, which is a normal part of the five stages of grief. Um, because I didn't, I felt like he cheated me and he cheated everybody else from getting to say goodbye. And I felt guilty about that because I thought, you know, here he is, he died, he lost his life. And I'm worried about my emotions, you know, mm -hmm. but that's what happens a lot of times in these situations. Is people feel that, that kind of emotion because of that. You know, but I've, it's been replaced with the, the feeling of I made a really good friend and the, the two years that we spent together, you know, talking. He was from Arkansas. I'm here in PA, um, you know, was were some great times. And I'm actually f really good friends with his twin sister now. We we communicate back and forth. So that at least that that was a good thing that came from that. For sure. For sure. You know, so th that's my little side story with Nog. But that's why I picked that. I mean, that is, uh, that's a fantastic example, Chris. So uh, thank you for putting the time into the research and, and finding examples of how Nog uh, was dealing with PTSD. That, that's fantastic work. Right. I mean, if you really, if you think about it too, I mean, the, the hollow suite was his drug. A lot of people with PTSD often mm -hmm. escape into drugs as a way to alter their reality to get through current reality, you sure. know, whether it's sure. weed or, you know, like whatever else is out there, you know, right. or alcohol, right. you know, so. Yeah. But at the same time, uh, like all the research is pointing to cannabis as one of the mm -hmm. best treatments 
for someone suffering from PTSD mm -hmm. because, mm -hmm. because PTSD is a form of anxiety and, mm -hmm. um, uh, it's a very intense form of anxiety. Cannabis is prescribed to a lot of uh, anxiety mm -hmm. patients. So it's, it's not surprising that it's doing wonders for those suffering p from PTSD. Oh, absolutely. It's, it's just the, it's the harder drugs. It's the, the opiates, the, mm -hmm. um, uh, and, and anything laced with fentanyl. That is mm -hmm. where we're finding people overdosing and, mm -hmm. um, and, and losing their lives. Mm -hmm. Whether oh, it's intentional or unintentional, of course. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, uh, I was always big with the whole thing about marijuana being a hardcore drug, but I can see it's definitely got a medicinal use. I've actually been writing recommendation letters for clients with anxiety to help seek that out. You have to actually go, I guess, onto your, I guess it depends on your state. You have to find there are only certain doctors that are, are licensed to prescribe it a, a marijuana card. Sure. Sure. Yeah. All right. Um, it's kind of hard to really talk about the subject without really focusing on on the real world treatments so i'm, I'm exactly. kind of glad that we're exploring it this way yes all right so i think at this point i'm going to bring up the first character that i feel is a, a very complex case of ptsd i mean there's a lot more going on underneath the surface uh than just ptsd but we're going to explore that as as we talk um so the the First character that I chose is Anakin Skywalker slash Darth Vader because they are essentially one and the same person. And and a lot of Anakin's trauma that led to PTSD happened at childhood. So obviously he's a complex case, but we're going to explore the potential causes of PTSD in Anakin and Darth Vader's life. Um, the first one I wanted to talk about is the, the fact that he grew up as a slave. He grew up in slavery. The first nine years of Anakin's life, he spent as the physical property of a bunch of different people. You know, he was owned by a member of the Hutt cartel, and then he was sold to Watto, who ran the junk shop on Tatooine in Mos Espa. Um, and basically, you know, for, for Watto, that was free labor. You know, he was able to put Anakin to work uh, and use his you know, skills as a, a mechanic to, you know, to hit to Watto's advantage, you know, that, that history, Anakin probably didn't have it terribly with Watto. I mean, he was still a slave, of course, and I'm not trying to minimize that, but uh, he at least was treated a little more respectfully by Watto, at least from what we see on screen. Mm -hmm. I guarantee he was not treated like that whenever he was owned by the Huts. So he, he, you know, Anakin would have never had his, um, his proper development, you know, uh, emotionally, psychologically, because of all those years spent as a slave. And then, you know, once he had left slavery and he was essentially rescued by the Jedi Order and Qui-Gon and, and Obi-Wan, you know, not, you know, 10 years later, he's thrust into a war as a soldier that he probably wanted nothing to do with. Um, you know, Anakin, obviously, you know, we, we talk about uh, veterans and soldiers who have been in active combat and often come back suffering the effects of PTSD. You know, the first five years of his adulthood, of Anakin's adulthood, were spent fighting a war that he didn't start, that he got caught up in. And, the, you know, the fact that he sees... Uh, you know, the sheer amount of death and destruction that he saw in these battlegrounds, in these war zones, it had to be 
even more complicated by the fact that many of the soldiers that he saw die all have the same exact face because they were clones. I I, I don't even know what that would do to somebody sure. to see the same person dying over and over and over again. Mm-hmm. It's like, yeah, there, I mean, obviously there's a lot more going on, but it, it's, it's easy to understand where, you know, Anakin mm-hmm. is clearly suffering from PTSD. Um, and then, you know, another, you know, a, a trauma acted upon uh, Anakin is the, you know, the multiple times where he lost limbs. I mean, he lost all four of his limbs uh, in, in essentially in a two year period. Well, no, mm-hmm. a, a, like a seven year period, because, mm-hmm. you know, the, the Clone Wars were kicked off by the events of Attack of the Clones and then uh, came to a, a screeching halt by the end of the Revenge of the Sith. So. Obviously, Anakin lost his arm in the fight with Count Dooku on Geonosis, and then in the climactic battle between Obi-Wan and Anakin, he loses the other three limbs. You know, he loses his other hand and both of his legs at the ankles, or actually at the shins, it looks like. And then, you know, of course, Anakin is just left there to burn on the, the shores of a lava river, you know, so that obviously has created a lot of trauma and um sure. and, and something that we see in the ancillary material we see that Anakin has flashbacks of uh of these traumatic events that happened to him. Mm-hmm. Um and then unfortunately, you know, it it doesn't seem that Anakin would ever begin the path to recovery. It would he would just retreat into his uh, neuroses over and over again. And of course that, you know, the suit certainly didn't help. So as far as, you know, some of Anakin and Vader's symptoms, you know, he has that feeling of terminal aloneness, you know, per- right. perhaps this is one of the first symptoms that might come to mind as we talk about this, especially in Vader's case. But, you know, we talked about terminal aloneness feeling as though the person had a barrier between them and others. Uh, Vader literally has a barrier in the form mm-hmm. of that mechanical suit that's necessary to keep him alive. That barrier is why Anakin and Vader would shut down and not seek treatment because he, he you know, he has a physical barrier in his way, not just an emotional one. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, you know, we talked briefly about the flashbacks. I mean, it's, it's difficult to say with absolute certainty that Vader had flashbacks in the films or the TV shows because they don't really address that. But the, the things like the ancillary material, the books, the comics, there, you know, there's a very good Darth Vader arc uh, that came out several years ago of comics. And it, it's fantastic. It deals with a lot of what he was feeling, you know, that he kept inside because you get that point of view of, of Vader uh, in that series. And then naturally, you know, the profoundly hurt inner child due to the slavery and, and everything. He never reached those important developmental milestones. He never had his basic needs taken care of to the point where he felt comfortable and was able to grow and meet the next level of, uh, of growing up. And I think it, it's probably safe to say, and you may, you may agree with me here, Chris, Mm-hmm. Obviously, you know, Vader's got a lot more going on under the surface. I would say he's very likely uh, suffers from borderline personality disorder himself, in yes. addition to the PTSD. Um, just the uh, the all or nothing mentality that that Anakin mm-hmm. has 
Um, the fact that he, you know, he, he was always impulsive. He always engaged in risky behaviors, um, Mm -hmm. that those are all characteristic signs of borderline personality disorder. And then, you Mm -hmm. know, everything in Revenge of the Sith, where Vader, uh, says you're either with me or you're against me. And then he says to Obi-Wan later, you turned Padme against me. That Mm -hmm. is very much all or nothing thinking. Mm -hmm. So... Yo, absolutely. And there was also going back to the abandonment issues too. I mean, his mother died, you know, so in a way he could have perceived that as an abandonment, even though it wasn't her fault. And then even when on Mustafar, when he was arguing with Padme, he said, the Jedi turned against me. Don't you turn against me Mm -hmm. again, back to the all or nothing Mm -hmm. thinking Mm -hmm. and the fear of she was going to abandon him right there. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. All right. Um, Chris, do you want to take our next character? Absolutely. So I'm going on to the, a big one, Captain Picard. So, you know, when we watch our, these Star Trek shows, we always think that we're seeing the best of the best, you know, that nothing seems to affect them. They don't go through personal scar, scars, issues of that nature. But we then some horrible traumatic event happens in some of the episodes. So with Captain Picard, we can't obviously the main arc for him where he was traumatized was in uh third season finale best of both worlds when he was assimilated by the borg and he became locutus so obviously we saw through the se- the fourth season premiere we watched him being locutus and and um and what the assimilation had done to him we had all the cybernetics th- throughout his body he lost his individuality everything what we find out at the end of the episode when they rescue picard and break the link with the borg collective is that picard remembers every single thing that he did as locutus so think about that he got assimilated by uh by the borg and then the ship is on its way to earth to confront the federation klingon fleet at wolf 359 because the borg with him being assimilated they were able to use everything that he had learned as being a Starfleet officer against his own people, against his own forces. And what we learn later on in an episode called the Drumhead is that 39 starships were destroyed and 11,000 people were killed. So go think about that. When he goes back to, he says he remembers everything that, that happened. Can you imagine what that would play on the psyche? Right. Even though it wasn't his fault, you know? So after the best of both worlds, we go into the very next episode, family and you can see some of the trauma that's going on when he's talking to Counselor Troy. She's talking to him and he's lost in thought staring in the mirror. He goes, uh-huh, what? And he goes, oh, yes, I'm going home with my family. So right there, he's probably having some sort of small flashback. He talked about how he was having nightmares, but they had just ended. Uh, so he goes home to Labar, France. He's with his, fa- his brother Robert and his family. And they have a bunch of different issues with each other from childhood growing up picard referred to robert as a b- bully so they end up fighting in the mud <laughs> get it out their feelings out that way typical males mm-hmm. i guess you know and all of a sudden picard just drops his guard and he says to robert they took everything i was they used me to kill destroy i tried fighting so hard but i couldn't stop them um so, so you see how if it actually did impact him emotionally and how and even robert says it's going to be a long time this is going to affect you it's it's going to be a part of you um Mm -hmm. and you're going to have to basically learn to live with it and we don't really see a whole lot of the borg stuff brought up throughout the rest of the fourth season until we get to the episode the drumhead for those of you who don't know remember that episode apparently there was a klingon saboteur aboard the enterprise who severely damages the enterprise's warp core 
And um, so an admiral from Earth comes. Her name's Admiral Nora Satie. And her father was a criminal lawyer, I believe. Um, and she really looked up to her father. But she also had these basically delusions of grandeur, basically, where she she just just thought she was above everybody else. And she thought that, you know, she could bring down everybody hands on. So she starts while they're conducting this investigation, she turns on the enterprise crew themselves and she starts to try to make people co-conspirators who weren't. All right. And um, so she goes after Picard and she uses his Borg experience against him, And she does it very subtly for her. She goes, tell me, have you how have you felt or how have you healed from your experience with the Borg? And you can see Picard look up real slowly and he goes, I fully recovered. Then she starts triggering him. She says, I can't imagine what you, what you've must have gone through. You destroyed 39 Federation ships and 11,000 dead. She said, one must wonder how you sleep at night. And Picard actually puts his head down and, and puts his head in his hand. Instead of confronting it, though, he goes on and he talks about basically what kind of person she is. But in that moment, you can tell, oh, great, here come the flashbacks, here come the memories. I mean, you have to be careful. Even in therapy, you have to be very careful uh-huh. how you you bring it up to people, what they experience, because any little slight little thing, a, 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 a word, a smell, a sound, anything can be a trigger uh-huh. at this point. He managed to keep himself under control. Um, but again, you can see the wheels turning in his mind. Like, I can't believe I went through this. It kind of makes me think that he went through a process that a lot of people do called bottling. And a lot of times when people experience some sort of trauma or a situation that, that was very unpleasant, they, instead of trying to confront it, they, they think, oh, if I bury it and compartmentalize it and put it in the back of my mind, it'll go away and disappear. And that is a big lie, folks. Big, big lie. Okay. Because what happens is the reason why it's called bottling. Think about a, a, a two liter bottle of Pepsi. Okay. Every time you bottle emotions or thoughts, it layers up on one over the other. Okay. And then finally you get to the very top of the bottle. There's no more room. So then when something small happens, like somebody bumps into you by mistake or somebody taps you on the shoulder and you're not ready for it, it turns into a big explosion of emotion. You just vent and release. And that's when people start saying horrible things or kicking holes in walls or destroying property, those kind of things. All right. And um, I think that's a lot of where Picard was. Now, he didn't get to that point where he blew. Not yet. That's coming. All right. So, again, the Borg stuff didn't really get touched on until near the end of the fifth season of The Next Generation with an episode called I, Borg. And that's where they rescue a one lone Borg drone. And basically, they help bring out his individuality to the point where Jordy actually names him Hugh. And Hugh starts referring to himself as I. Mm-hmm. Now, during the episode, there are two people who wanted nothing to do with this 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 Borg. It was Captain Picard, obviously, but it was also Guinan, because if you remember, Guinan's mm-hmm. people were destroyed by the Borg. Yep. So they both of them with their own traumas did not want to deal with this Borg, you know, and see him as having a name. Finally, Guinan goes and sees the Borg drone in in the uh what is it? The uh brig. In the brig. He's in his cell. And, you know, he starts saying certain things about how she feels lonely, kind of like how he's feeling and it stirs something in her that she wasn't expecting. So she goes and confronts Picard and says, look, you need to go and talk to this drone. This isn't what you're expecting. We're planning on using him to destroy his race. That's when the anger finally comes out with Picard. His bottle was finally full. And he says, it's not a person, damn it. It's a Borg. Mm-hmm. And guy stays calm. And says, if you're going to use this person to destroy his entire race, you should at least look him in the eye one more time, one time and confront him. 
And so Picard actually does confront him and realizes there's something different about this board. There's a, for better word, humanity. We don't know mm-hmm. what race you was, but there was a humanity there. And he realized using him to destroy his own people was wrong. And it was basically him becoming the very Borg that he was as Locutus, you know, so he ended up showing mercy on this Borg and they let him go back to the Borg collective. All right. Then we don't really have any issues with his Borg trauma until Star Trek First Contact several years later. And we actually find out there's a connection that he still has with this, with the Borg. He can actually hear them talking in his own mind when they're invading Federation space. So he obviously feels that it's his responsibility when they go back in time and assimilate Earth that they have to go back and fix this. Well, at, during as the time is going on and the Borg take over the Enterprise, you can start seeing a lot of the anger that's developing in him. A lot of the memories about how you know you can stop the Borg, those things are starting to manifest. But Lily is also noticing and she's a lady from the 21st century. She's noticing the obsession that Picard's having. They're losing the battle to the Borg on the Enterprise. But he wants to keep fighting. He wants to keep attacking them. At one point, they're in the holodeck running a, uh, a uh, Dixon Hill program. And he uses he does that because he uses uh, the guns to actually shoot down two Borg drones. While he's shooting the Borg drones, he actually starts shrieking, starts screaming. Um, Lily compares it later on to almost he was enjoying it, like he was getting revenge by doing that. And he didn't want to hear any part of that. And he finally gets mad because she wants them to destroy the Enterprise so they could defeat the Borg. He doesn't want to do that. He doesn't want to yield. Finally, he gets so mad and he tells Lily no, and he ends up shattering a case, a glass case that had those uh, Enterprise models made out of gold in them. Again, another bottling moment. He was overfilled and he exploded. And he realized that you can see it in his face. He's like, oh my gosh, what in the hell did I just do here? You know, and he finally has that little speech with Lily. You know, we they invade our space and we fall back. Uh, they assimilate entire worlds and we fall back. Not again. The line must be drawn here. This far, no farther. Then he says it. And I will make them pay for what they've done. And she finally says, you know what? Okay, go on with your obsession. You know what? See you around, Ahab. And then he, he quotes Moby Dick and uh, finally realizes she's right. You know, mm-hmm. but then he also has right. that final moment where he's able to confront it, where he confronted the, the person responsible for all the trauma, which was really the Borg queen because she leads the collective and he ends up defeating her and he ends up actually feeling bad about it in the long run. Most people with PTSD don't get to confront the person that they actually or the situation that caused sure. their trauma, you know. So for Picard, that was a very rare moment. So one thing a lot of times I talk to to uh people about with whether it's any kind of PTSD or grief trauma or whatever is if you sometimes you're not going to have the closure that you want. So you actually have to find a way to create the closure on your own. Right. That's acceptable to you. You know, whether it's through um, journal writing or actually writing letters to the person that, that harmed you that you never give them as a form of journaling or writing a letter, tying it up to a balloon and letting it go. Those can be some symbolic gestures of closure. Right. At this point, you know, so I know I kind of went off on a little bit, no, with that's that, all good. you know, but that that's kind of what happened with Picard is he actually got to confront the person and he actually kind of got his revenge. Right. And I'm not promoting revenge in any way, shape or form. But, you know, it just made me realize a lot of people with PTSD don't get the closure that they need. Yeah. Yeah. You know. All right. Uh, that Chris, that was a, a fantastic exploration of Picard. Um, I'm going to discuss my uh, second character 
that I feel suffers from PTSD in the, on the Star Wars uh, side of things. And that is uh, Obi-Wan Kenobi. I don't think we can talk about Darth Vader and Anakin without also talking about Obi-Wan Kenobi and how he mm-hmm. has PTSD and how he dealt with it. Um, you know, by the time that the Clone Wars started, Obi-Wan was already an adult and, you know, he had grown up in the Jedi Temple. All of his basic needs and, and everything was met. Um, so I don't think that the Clone Wars were the trigger for Obi-Wan's uh, PTSD. I'd actually say it would be the culmination of the Clone Wars and, and mm-hmm. the uh, the beginning of the rise of the Empire. I'd say it's where uh, Obi-Wan was forced to choose between trying to save his friend and do what was necessary for the galaxy. Uh, and that's why, you know, he they had their final battle on Mustafar. You know, Obi-Wan essentially killed his brother, you know, his mm-hmm. not only his brother, his protege and his best friend. And, and for all intent and purpose, uh, Obi-Wan felt like he had resolved the situation, but it didn't he then didn't have a way to uh, to seek help for for the choice that he had to make you know when we got this obi-wan kenobi series on disney plus earlier this year i mean i never expected that you could look at the entire series as a metaphor for his recovery from ptsd you mm-hmm. know when we first meet obi-wan in the show he's laying low on tatooine he lives in a cave the only people who know of his existence are her Bail Organa and uh, some Jawa merchant that basically steals <laughs> Obi-Wan stuff and then sells it back to him at a premium price. Yes. By the way, they made an action figure of him in the Black Series. I saw it at Target. Oh, of course they Jawa. did. <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, I'm laughing about it, but it's, you know, it's, it's, it's a very real situation. You know, somebody sure. who, you know, he's basically trying to close himself off from the world so that he remain safe and can protect Luke, but he suffers from, uh, you know, the, the terminal aloneness at the same time. Um, Obi-Wan, you know, basically has his EOP that he rides daily from to and from work, but the EOP is his emotional support animal. Really? Mm -hmm. I mean, when you look at it, Obi-Wan effectively has cut himself off from the force. Um, you know, that that's actually a metaphor for dissociation, I think. You know, mm-hmm. he avoids contact with people whenever possible, which is a you know a symptom of hypervigilance. You know, he's constantly scanning uh, for fear that he'll be seen and captured or killed, uh, and he won't be able to fulfill his personal mission of protecting Luke if you know if he isn't this hypervigilant. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, of course, you know the the cave isn't exactly uh, a good. Um, place for him to live because now you know and nightly he essentially is reliving the the trauma because he suffers from nightmares and flashbacks so he's getting those all you know all of those emotional and somatic flashbacks that we talked about as one of the symptoms Mm -hmm. i think you know what what started obi-wan's road to recovery is the fact that he was exposed to an element of his past life you know he he was engaged by bail organa to rescue and become involved in the rescue of Leia. You know, she helps encourage him to leave his isolation, to reestablish his connection with the force and realize that he still is the same person he was 10 years ago before he and Anakin got in their climactic battle. Uh, he, while he 
dissociated from his from the force. He still had it. He just had to recover it. And I think that everything with Leia got him to that point where he was able to reestablish his connection and uh, and begin his road to recovery. Mm-hmm. The, the PTSD will always have occurred, right? It's not mm-hmm. like it's something that goes away with treatment. No, but his he's on the re- road to recovery. You know, he he is able to thrive with his diagnosis and live with it rather than bury it and be crippled by it. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I think that brings up a very important point, Jonathan, that I think a lot of people think that mental illness is curable and you just take a magic pill and all the symptoms go away. And that's absolutely not what happens. Okay. The medications are to help manage symptoms. But mental illness, isn't. there's no cure for any mental health. You just have to learn how to integrate it into your life, which is where the therapy part comes right. in. Okay. Um, so please, 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 people, if you can, seek mental health treatment any way you can. Uh, the internet is a wonderful tool mm-hmm. to be able to help you find the people you need or call your insurance companies. They will have a list of people that are in network with your insurances. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and please, please seek it out. Absolutely. That is the best resource that you have at your disposal is your uh, the 1-800 number or the concierge service through your insurance provider. Mm-hmm. They will help you identify the clinics that you just don't know about, the, the therapists mm-hmm. that you don't know about, because so many therapists run private practices, so they don't have mm-hmm. advertising. You're not going to see giant signs outside of you know their, uh, their office. You're not going to see, you know, gigantic billboards while you're driving down the highway for therapy. Mm-hmm. Those are going to be the big practices. And those unfortunately are the ones that are full because everybody yes. knows about them. So you exactly. have to engage your insurance company. And oftentimes uh, you, some of the insurance sites, if you do your research online, you can actually filter down by what you're specifically looking for, whether it's PTSD or trauma, whether it's depression, anxiety, or whether it's um, even grief and loss. You know, there are counselors who specialize in everything. Uh, mm-hmm. And then you can find the right match so that you don't have to play the game. Well, this, this, this therapist and I don't get along because they're not addressing the, the issues that I have. If you find someone who is, has a specialty in a certain type of treatment, that's what you want to look for. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I know this was a very, very uh, heavy, very difficult episode. Um, Obviously, you know, if this episode brought any sort of trauma to the surface for you, we encourage you to go get the help that, you know, that you need to get you started on your road to wellness. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, if you want to do some good for the community there, there, you know, as far as uh, talking to somebody who may be at risk for suicide. Um, there's a very good method called the QPR method, and it's the question, persuade, refer. Um, you're actively questioning the person's suicidality. Uh, you're persuading them that, hey, there there is a way out for you, and it's not what you're thinking, and then referring them to get uh, the treatment that they so desperately need. You know, that's, mm-hmm. that's QPR. I mean, there's an entire... Uh, institute built around this method of confronting somebody who might be suicidal. So Mm -hmm. look into the QPR method, look into the QPR Institute. And if you want to do something to benefit uh, the the 22 soldiers a day who take their own lives because they don't see another way out, I highly recommend Mission 22. Uh, It's a a veterans outreach organization where they, um, unlike some charities uh and i don't want to 
put anybody out on blast, but there are some veterans charities out there that do a lot. You know, they use their funds for administrative purposes and paying CEOs ridiculous amounts of money. But Mission 22 actually, you know, in 2020, 88% of all the money that they received as donations went into veterans programs. So, you know, and the remaining 12% was just administrative. I mean, you know, you you have perks to pay, you have the CEO, you have the the organization leadership, but the fact that 88% of the money they receive goes directly back to veterans outreach program is why I think Mission 22 is one of the best use of your donation towards uh, veteran outreach and suicide prevention. That's wonderful. That's wonderful. Also, there's a resource online, um, the National Alliance on Mental Illness. Uh, it's a website, www.nami.org. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's got a lot of different resources on how you can help people on their mental health journeys or on your own mental health journey. Um, it also has breakdowns on different mental health diagnoses. Um, to kind of help you get, get a basic idea of what, what somebody might be going through or what you might be going through. It's a wonderful resource. Please uh, use it. Absolutely. And then, of course, in the U.S., we recently had the nation, uh, the nationwide suicide hotline at 988 mm-hmm. that you can dial yes. from any phone anywhere in the U.S. Um, if you're listening outside of the U.S., I know, I'm sure your, uh, your nation that you call home has some sort of resource for you as well. But if you're in the U.S., Absolutely. call 988. Even if you're not actively thinking of suicide, it's still a nationwide crisis hotline that you can reach out to for help. Absolutely. Okay. And on that note, I think we're going to end episode 20 of Captain's Logs and Lightsabers. Make sure you check the show notes for any way to reach out to us.